People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of series 6 of People's Poetry Podcast. This is the poetry and spoken word podcast that follows me, Jimmy Bowman, a teacher and poet myself, as I wander the UK to chat to a range of poets and explore the UK's love affair with poetry. Now this podcast is not just for those who are already into poetry. Our mission, my mission, is to show you that there is poetry for all walks of life and there is something out there written for you. Series 6 was recorded in the middle of the global pandemic, I'm sure you've heard of it, via the magic of Zoom. Series 6, we've decided to hear from you and we have launched our new open mic segment of the podcast. Each episode, we're going to select one of the many submissions we've had. A massive thank you to everyone that has submitted. It's been really tough whittling it down to just nine this series. Uh, But each episode, we are going to hear one poem from a new voice from not just the UK, but around the globe. Tigwit, Michelle Nigwil Danik Nirees Anandum. Hello, my name is Michelle Maloney King. I'm a postmodern poet from County Tipperary in Ireland. I'm also the editor of Bear Bua Journal. And the poem I'm going to read for you today is called 500,000 Generations. Baffled, strangely charmed too at his loss of virtue. It's the thing that typically eats all the red gloves. It comes from the Latin, umbra. He bows to our midday sun, stealing rainbows, raises his paper up and returns to reading. Hurry. With less than an hour to go, it's that final push. Her memory is a tricky preoccupation to get ready for something calming. Each of us has a unique preference of unicorn oats to others. It's exercise or adventure, 60s makeup with added glitter. Apologies, unusual personal request. Turkey, fire chicken. She helps steam the new research. Is there such a thing as aged and yellow cross-reference? Like slow walking, for example. We have the data, he said. I'll meet you in my coffee cup. Sure, where else can you buy history? On occasion, I have, yes. A big thanks to Michelle Maloney-King for sending in that piece. It was a People's Poetry Podcast first this episode as I sat down and spoke to my first ever poetry collective, the Wise Talk Poetry Collective. We spoke about their brilliant show, The Art of Losing, about differing writing styles and navigating their individual poetry paths. This episode, I am joined by my first ever poetry collective, which I'm very excited about, Wise Talk Collective, which is made up of Helen Rice, Chris Singleton, Sonia Burns and Camille McCauley. Thank you for all of you being here on time and, and talking to me. This is amazing. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. How's uh, my, my mandatory question for everyone this series is how's what I'm branding lockdown 3.0 treating you all? Just, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> nah. Enjoying it. Just, like, oh. This is a very long time since we saw each other, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you Getting fed up of takeaways and doing yoga and like I've watched a lot of films. <laughs> yeah, yeah i think i think um the the main thing i've been saying about this lockdown is i, I never really 
thought about how much weather affected my mood and stuff I think the first yeah. lockdown was that bit easier because you could go for a walk and it was it was yeah. nice out but I think there was there was a bit more of a novelty first time around I was like oh this is and now it's just great it's just the, it, this feels like a great yeah. no end end day yeah. either it's quite difficult and I'm a key worker as well so just so busy with work some varied responses there <laughs> from key worker to yoga to watching films oh. no I'm a key worker as well that's like when I'm not at work <laughs> well there's not much else you can do I guess no obviously we're going to talk about how you guys met and formed as uh, this poetry collective but something I like to ask people when they come on and obviously there's there's four poets in well five if you include me in this room um when were you first not the first time you started writing poetry but when was it you first became aware of poetry was it a, a certain poem when you were growing up was it quite later on in life can you pinpoint that moment yeah i am um, my housemate was doing a clear out recently and she found um her a copy of the gcse anthology uh with uh, all kinds of poets in that i now see in a completely different way and i suppose that was when i first became aware of it i mean was it that one yeah, yeah, it's that exact copy. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, that is, and she was like, what is this? And I went, you can't throw that away. That is, that's part of my past. So I've, I've taken it, I've kept it. Um, so I guess that's when I first became aware of it. But I, I remember like um, just struggling to analyze poetry and never really understanding the joy of it until many, many years later when I kind of went, oh, okay, you know, and discovering performance poetry was almost like a second, second version of. Um, so when I was at school is the short answer, but then there's a much longer history of it for me. Um, yeah, I don't remember ever learning it at school. I don't know if my school just didn't do it or if I've just got a terrible memory. But <laughs> my first memory of doing poetry was when I was a little kid with my granddad and we'd write poems together. So that was quite a quite a nice thing that we did together. Um, so, yeah, that's my original bit. But then spoken word wasn't until I was about 30. Um, and I joined the Poetry um, Society at University of Sheffield when I was studying a master's and I attended UniSlam, a uh, competition where it's like a team uh, competition for slam and I coached the team so that was my introduction to spoken word and starting to take poetry a lot more seriously. That is a nice answer, a nice memory of you and your granddad as well. Can you two yeah. remember? Yeah I, I mean I definitely was, I, I my mum's given me poems that I've written at a really young age um, and I was always like I had Roald Dahl's revolting rhymes and you know I can remember that kind of thing when I was young and also doing my A-levels I had a really great English teacher who actually made John Donne like amazing for us and I still really love his poetry now um, but yeah with spoken word it's a, quite a, a lot more recent thing and I'd say the first time I really came across it was in Derby through Jamie uh, Pasavulu's night and Sophie Sparrow's night, the, um, the word wise, and seeing poets perform like Matt Abbott and Selena Garden, Toria Garber. So yeah, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. I might like to have a go one day. Some big names there, some big names. Love those guys. You just reminded me of the revolting rhymes and I distinctly remember my dad my dad would frequently like come into the lounge and just there was, there's a line of there's something about she whipped a pistol from her knickers and my yeah. dad thought it was a little red riding hood like whips run out of her pants and shoots the wolf in the face dad used to like yeah. just love that line and crack that out all the time um I a bit like Camille I had a granddad who likes to 
makeup poems but he his big thing was writing them in everyone's birthday cards and after he died we found like stacks of them they were all written literally on the back of fag packets i'm not <laughs> notes 40 john player specials a day and on the back of the fag packet i know and on the back of each of these fag packets was written like little rhymes for our birthdays um but my junior school was was really weird it was just the local state school but it was run um by a quite eccentric character who ran it um like a kind of 1950s prep school so we yeah. did we did very little of like modern whatever was on the curriculum back in the mid 80s and um and just loads of what was called speech and drama so believe it or not i've i've had elocution lessons <laughs> the others don't know this i didn't know that <laughs> i don't know shall i demonstrate yeah you've got you now <laughs> right so we, we um what my favorite one that i still remember because she, she was obsessed with People from Derby, y'all talk at Arachia's throat. She hated that sound and she wanted us to learn to drop the lower jaw. Uh, <laughs> and so her favourite exercise for this was um, My papa has a jaguar which goes rather fast, but I would rather ride in Arthur's cart than papa's fast car. <laughs> Amazing. I think. Uh... <laughs> I think you might be in for the crown next series. So the big, the big breakthrough for me was hearing um, poets like Ian McMillan, uh, Glyn Maxwell, Simon Armitage on um, Mark Radcliffe's show that used to be on Radio One late at night, and that was the first time I'd heard anyone do poetry in a non-poetry voice. Yeah, and, uh, that was huge. Yeah. It's a nice variation of answers there, and I'm amazed at how many times I've had to whack this out this this week. Um, I actually stole that from my school. I was like, I'm having my copy. <laughs> yeah. and I've, got, I've this... got no doubts that this copy that I've acquired was was stolen <laughs> from a, a school in South Leeds at some point. It's the only way. It's the only way. So, how did you guys meet then and form this collective? Because I love the idea of a, a poetry collective. It's almost like a, a super group, isn't it, in the poetry world? Um, I'm quite jealous. Uh, I imagine you like have great fun. Uh, sitting around writing together how how did you all meet I see in your bio I think on Facebook says a love of pints which would definitely be one of my criteria for if I was forming a, a collective yeah the pub is definitely a big thing with us um which is really sad that we can't go yeah. um but yeah originally I don't think we really knew each other before um so basically I when I was at uni and I was doing my master's and joined the poetry committee Poetry Society Committee. Um, I was really starting to get into spoken word and I was really enjoying it. And I got to the point where I was really confident in doing a five minute sort of open mic set. And I was really pleased with myself for getting there, but it just seemed like such a big jump to go from a five minute set to doing a 20 minute paid set, which seems mm. to be the next sort of jump. And as a part-time student working part-time, um, I was skin, I couldn't afford to go to like these workshops and it seemed at the time a lot of the um support free support available for upcoming poets was for young people like 25 and under whereas I was 30 at the time and I just seemed to fall in this bracket that was missed um so I thought I'd do something about it and I'd work with this um amazing uh venue in Sheffield that's not doesn't exist anymore it's called Cellar Theatre and 
I really love the idea of setting up like a poetry development pro program. So I applied to Arts Council funding with their support. Um, yeah, and I managed to, I was successful in getting the projects grant. So that was basically five workshops, five two hour workshops, three of them it was mostly led by Matt Abbott, um, one led by Jamie Thrasavulu, one led by Genevieve Carver. And it was just like to develop, well, six of us that attended the workshops. Um, and it was to develop that idea of going from a five minute set to a 20 minute set. And like Jamie did a really useful workshop on putting yourself out there in like social media and promoting yourself that, that best. So it's kind of in, involved all of it. Um, and at the end of the workshops, we, we actually each performed a 20 minute set to a live audience who gave us feedback, like critical feedback about how they thought it went and how we could improve and uh, what bits they liked, etc. And we also, a part of the programme, we included a filmmaker. So each of us could go away and get an individual film po poem shot with a professional filmmaker and have our sets recorded because another barrier to accessing, getting your word out there and your poems out there is to have good quality videos of yourself to Definitely. share on Facebook. Like if, if you want to perform at a night, you usually need to send them something to show to the quality of your work. And it's, it's quite difficult when you don't have access to expensive cameras and editing software. So that was all that. Um, and yeah, out of, we just got on so well, all six of us to be fair, but um, yeah, the four of us ended up going away and just continuing to meet. And to this day, like what, two, three years later. So yeah. Yeah, we went on a writing retreat this time last year we went and got a house in Bridlington and just had a weekend which happened to be Chris's birthday as well just hanging out and writing and um, that's when we started pulling together the plan for our um, show that we did um, for the Saboteur Awards last year which ended up being digital obviously because mm. actually meet in person at that time but um, yeah we've managed to meet pretty much weekly haven't we on Zoom sometimes it's not to write sometimes it's just to have a moan or a chat um, or a cry or whatever <laughs> but sometimes we you know quite fairly often we do write we try and attend workshops together so yeah it's good it must be nice having that support as well like if you're writing something for i don't know a collection of your own you, you can probably chuck it about with the four That's of you can't great. you yeah. yeah i think we've got to know each other that well and we're not precious about you know we can give each other constructive feedback mm. um you know we can it, it just works well it is it is yeah. different from just you know if you sort of show your friend or um partner you're like oh that's yeah, that's, yeah, that's that's good, yeah. and they, they're, they're sort of scared of saying anything more it's it's different if we're like no nah, i think i think you could do better than that <laughs> or, you know <laughs> try switching yeah. those lines around and see what that's really really helpful and i i, I think poetry it is quite a lonely it's quite a lonely game and it's quite nice to be in it with other people as well yeah. We've each got we've each got completely different styles as well. Ways of like Sonia loves her form, whereas the rest of us aren't so strict with it. I, I, I just <laughs> rebel against that. But I think Sonia's done two form exercises with us that I've really, really liked. And the rest of the time uh -huh. I've got really grumpy about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we yeah, it means that we've got a different perspective on each of our poems and yeah, it's just that that feedback is valuable. And that again. 
Um, but to get editing in your feet and your poems costs money normally. Whereas if we've got each other, at least we can get it to a good enough standard to then either submit to places or like a few of us have sent off poems to people like Leanne Moden and Bridget Hart of Burning Eye and paid, a, paid them some money to professionally edit it and get feedback. But we had to get it to a point that we were confident to send it to them before. So course, each other, yeah. having each other really, really, really helps. It's, uh, yeah, I've, I've definitely done that. It got to a point where I had to pay you to send it off somewhere because I'd take my poems to the pub and be like, oh, mate, read that. It's, yeah, don't know what you're talking about, but yeah, see, it sounds good. <laughs> so sometimes, yeah, I think you need sort of writer friends, I guess, don't you? Tell yeah, me it's as really well. hard. And for, for a while before I met these guys, I was like on a online forum, um, but it wasn't really great because you'd like post, you posted work and you got kind of, points for critiquing other people's work and they got points for critiquing yours so it was just like anyone really and they mm. didn't really know I don't know it just didn't really work that well people were quite sort of <laughs> I want more points <laughs> yeah it was a bit weird and, it, and then you get like five people kind of doing it at the same time and saying completely different things it's like oh god this is really just confusing the hell out of me so it's yeah. better with the people you know and yeah one of the one of the only artistic developments of lockdown three is that uh, I I set up some workshops with uh, John Kinsman, and we've been running kind of uh, John runs a weekly editing session that is I, I've not submitted a poem to it yet, but I've I've kind of seen the the benefit that people get from it, and it's just incredible because you've got five other poets just sat there looking at a poem with you for you, and then obviously you. you exchange the, the the same service in return and it's people just get so much use and, and benefit from it it's incredible and it's just one of those things that like you say you show a poem to a friend you read a poem down the pub you read a poem even if you read a poem at an open mic or, or a slam or, or anywhere you're not going to get that kind of honest um yeah. in-depth feedback afterwards definitely and the thing you're saying about having a good quality video is i, th I think you're right it is killer at the minute I'm, fortunately um so I, I went to school with someone who's now a cinematographer so I sort of called in a favour for for the one that I filmed last year but yeah if, if I didn't know him I'd be absolutely stuffed and like you said it is so important when you're trying to send uh, off to organisations if they want to see what you're like performing not, not just written on the page as well. We have to talk about the art of losing because it's it's great um, and it went digital as you said so this was your um, show that the four of you put together um, and I watched it a few times and it's such a real scale of loss throughout it, isn't there? There's there's sort of almost trivial loss, loss of material things, but right through to bereavement and, and moving on. So I, I think to get across the sort of harsh realities that you talk about um, and this sense of learning, I feel like once you've watched that show, it's it's almost like uh, there's one of your poems, Sonia, and it's a bit like a mu much more relevant Claire Rayner, like this good advice that you're um, giving to to the next generation to perhaps not do the same things you've done. Um, yeah, I think I think it's brilliant, especially the opening, the festivals. It, it, I mean, I watched it again. I think it was two days ago because I knew you guys were coming on, and just that opening, I just I just wanted to get muddy and lose all my possessions and but yeah i mean talk, talk to me about that because it is it is great and i really enjoyed it well thank you yeah. can anyone so remember how we started with that i can't even yeah well we did start right we started the writing in bridlington yeah. so that was like january of 2020 but then obviously we were we'd sort of planned 
everything out like when we were going to meet dress rehearse etc and then obviously covid hit and we thought we probably weren't going to do it and then we got the curveball from charlie that yeah it's going ahead digitally didn't we and sort of had to scramble a bit to but i think the original theme was that we've all either lost important people in our lives or lost belongings and lost relationships that, that seemed to be a thing that connected us from the beginning and it yeah. just like a obvious thing to talk about <laughs> we were writing about it all the time so even more broadly than that i think we just realized that we're, we're all a bit rubbish at life sometimes <laughs> <laughs> and we're like let's make and and that's um, you know you talked about the broad spectrum of loss and that's that's precisely because we wanted to make sure that it wasn't just um the big grand you know losses that you grief and and death and and divorce and all those things that you, you always hear about but it was as simple as okay i lost a, a pair of socks or a festival you know a t-shirt at a festival or whatever it might be that that's mm -hmm. more trivial i distinctly remember sitting around your your dining room table camille and us just kind of going well, what are we doing then um, and I think that for me is where it kind of started. This was before we went away on the yeah, ride. Yeah, that's true, actually. Um, I think that's I, where I first started writing about Dead Cat. It was where you started your Dead Cat yeah. poem, yeah. And that's where I went. That's what, <laughs> I, that's what I remember as the start of it is you and your felines. Grizzly, uh, grizzly feline past. That Dead Cat poem punches you in the stomach, though, doesn't it? You're like, oh, it's a dead cat. And then it's just that twist. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, wow. Um, the, the other poem, Helen's poem, is it snails that you put uh, into a box? Frogs, that... it was tiny frogs. Frogs, frogs, that's it. I mean, that, but even that though, like when, when it comes on, you, you listen to it, you think, okay, what's this got to do with loss? It's got to have something. And then it's because you, you've killed them and then you're sort of grieving over them. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great. It's, I love it. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think out of that, dis I think we did an exercise at that first, at that discussion around the tables about kind of, our first like big memory of loss or of, or our first kind of understanding of death and I think pet, pet loss and yeah, yeah I think that's where got that and, pet loss, it? yeah. and it's funny because I mean a lot of the time when people get kids a little pet for the first time it's like well you know help them learn about death <laughs> it's so weird um but yeah I think you learn about death one way or another pretty quickly yeah was this in in its really early stages was was this planned sort of as a show from the start or, or was this you sort of found out you were writing similar things and you you put them together i think we knew we wanted to do a show together um i mean we'd all really the doing the um the development course uh, that camille had, had organized was just fantastic i can't emphasize enough what a, what a difference that made from from going doing like a couple of poems at an open mic night or maybe even just one poem to to being asked to be featured act at stuff it was, mm -hmm. it's just brilliant um mm. and we knew that we wanted to do more stuff together um and i think we were we was kind of inspired by some of the stuff they do at like the uni slams where they where you have kind of like a group uh performance um and then it kind of developed from that into the into the art of losing it was the the saboteur awards um uh, call out as well for submissions and we kind of went we definitely shouldn't ignore this one we should we should be putting something in and the two things just kind of aligned at the right moment and then yeah that's how we, that's where we started thinking about what we were going to do 
I think the way you've shot the video as well, obviously under the circumstances with uh, COVID and stuff, I think it massively adds to it though, because it, I think it gives it, I think if that was shot by like really edited, do you know what I mean? Like professionally, like over edited almost, you'd lose that sense of sort of realism. But I think seeing you in your homes and outside your homes and walking places like that, it just adds to, to the, the sense of loss. I think it's great the way it's done. Was that something that you come up with yourselves or did you have any help putting that together? No, we did it all ourselves and it was total need must. And we kind of, yeah, we, we found out that we were going to, that, that the saboteur was going to go ahead digitally. We didn't have much time. Um, we had to quickly order like microphones and... Um, Very nearly didn't like, do it. Yeah. Um, tripods and things and, and, and decide how to approach it and it was quite a, I mean it was probably March eight, end of March April we were making yeah, that it was at the very high so it was right at the start so it was just like we were just probably getting to grips with Zoom for God's sake let alone yeah. help. so we just had to really we just thought well we'll just have to work with what we've got but yeah I think we're all I think we're all pretty pleased with how yeah, it turned out in terms of the quite a lot of writing left to do we had to make it a proper show and especially make it an on online show um, and I was obviously in the first lockdown, so it was all that was all new and stressful. And like we're all busy with our day jobs as well, so it was just trying to find the time to make sure we did. So every Sunday morning was our time to come together, and we still meet every Sunday morning, like today is this. But um, yeah, it, yeah, we, as to say, we very, very nearly didn't do it. We're like, do we have time to do, it, to, do we have the time that we want to be able to commit to this properly? Um, but I think all of us were just like, we can't miss up this opportunity, it's, it's too good. And it'll sort of kick us into gear to write it. And from doing that and from forcing ourselves to meet every, that was the point where we started meeting every week, because in person, I think we'd maybe meet monthly and then sort of chat in between. Um, but that would really, A, help get us through lockdown and have something else other than work to focus on, mm -hmm. something for ourselves and like bond us together as well. And like, mm -hmm. Mm. just forced into something so quickly um and we had yeah, to we... massively upskill ourselves with which has turned out to be a useful thing as as the lockdowns yeah. continued and the there's the zooming continues and the you know so i mean chris um didn't you teach yourself how to a, a whole editing software in a yeah, day or chris something was amazing maybe. with the editing you mean he just um it was, it, it, on and did it. it was a case of like what's the best free video editing software okay <laughs> i found it now how many times is it going to crash today okay that many times i'm going to stop editing on my laptop great now i'm using my computer but actually when you drag this bit there's this random like grunting sound that's still somewhere underneath the video and i can't find the audio and i just end up swearing quite a lot but thankfully i think i i was um I remember distinctly kind of going to these guys, I'm going to need a couple of weeks to, to try and edit this because I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. Um, and it, it was, it was, yeah, I think it worked. I'm, I'm, I'm gen genuinely quite proud of it considering I had no video yeah, skills okay. at the beginning of it. Um, and that's before you even talk about how brilliant all of the performances are. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Hats off to you because, I mean, writing it's one thing, but I said, I, I do think it really works the way it's shot. Um, I think it definitely... Uh, makes as i said that sense of realism that sense of loss come across much more um through that so hats off to you if you've had to learn that in two weeks and edit it fair play um it, obviously it was it was meant for the stage wasn't it have you got any plans to take it to uh sort of stages after 
lockdown whenever that is yeah we'd love to hope we, we, we would like to wouldn't we yeah definitely look at it at the script again maybe and maybe change bits to make it suitable for stage. yeah yeah. It's like an alien concept that at the moment, though, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> One day, a couple of times about like Wise Talk in general and about how there is a Wise Talk Arts Council funding bid at some point in the future, or that you know there should be, and we don't know exactly what it's for. I don't think, and we don't know exactly what what um, what we will do as a collective. But I think there's definitely a desire to to do something live with the art of losing, mm. like Camille said, to to relook at it and edit it and change it. And also, we 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 started very briefly talking about the idea of a wise talk pamphlet or chat book, and and yeah. coming together as a collective and publishing something as a collective. Which I, again, I don't think I may be completely wrong, but I don't think you see that much of that happening. Um, yeah, no, no, we not. talked about it, and we couldn't think of any any collective. But that doesn't mean they don't exist. But it's not something that I've come across that that have published together. Yeah, I can't think of any either. I think that'd be quite a good idea. I like the idea of poetry and creating something as a as a collaborative act because I think mm. um, one of the things that is sometimes quite entertaining but sometimes quite disturbing about the poetry world is when it can it can be a bit com the competitive side. Like there's so many, so much of what's published is it, you know it is a competition essentially, and the idea of of sort of taking that on as a group feels slightly subversive empowering mm, yeah definitely um, i think there'd be a market for it i would buy one there you go there's your first sale you've mentioned quite a few poets as well that, that i've had on and, and spoke to and are you based are you derby or are you across derby and somewhere else um so i was originally sheffield with helen um but i've moved to derby recently and sonia's in derby and chris is in i'm in derby but i lived in sheffield for a while before chris's leaves and I'm yeah. in Sheffield, but I'm from Derby. <laughs> right, okay. Pollination. Okay. Yeah, I know. Well, I, I love, I love, I don't know, it's, I'm going to sound ignorant. Is Derby technically the Midlands still? Yeah, yeah East Midlands. The North. Sheffield is technically but For someone North. like, yeah, but depending on your perspective, it, you know, I think people do sometimes class it as North. Yeah, so the, the Wise Talk development programme that we did together was based in Sheffield, um, but the with the funding I made sure it was like a because Sheffield's right on the border of Derbyshire and I wanted to and like the Peak District and there's a lot of uh, I wanted it to be open to anyone sort of within commutable distance of Sheffield um because there will be like rural parrots that can't get to workshops and like the funding allowed for travel expenses and childcare and that kind of stuff so um yeah that's why you've got people us from Leeds Derby Sheffield no, I love yeah. it. And one of the good things about doing this podcast is, well, that, that was the reason I started it. There, there didn't seem to be any podcast that travelled to the poets. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, obviously, this is remote. I, I would have loved to come up and sat in a pub with you, but... Um, yeah. I would have got you in Sheffield. To be yeah, we'll have to, Let's do, make that yeah. have to do a round two at some point. Yeah, see, I've not done Sheffield. I've only been to Derby once. That was to sit uh, with Jamie. Yeah, and he's, he's, he's the man he kept, to do it with. <laughs> he, kept, he kept going, oh, I've got to take you to a nice pub. I said, Jamie, I don't want to go to a nice pub. I want to go to your pub. And then he just <laughs> took me to this sort of spit and sawdust pub. And yeah, this is my local. And I was like, this is great. This is great. This is what I've come here for. And... Um, <laughs> But yeah, I'm discovering so many, so many poets. It's such a thriving poetry scene in the Midlands. I think not in only yeah, mentioned Leanne Modern, yeah. Derby. You've got people like Jamie. It's now. I mean, there was there definitely wasn't when I was growing up, or maybe, um, yeah. I I think this is a real 
very welcome, more recent phenomenon. Yeah, what was it when you were growing up? Not hardly any well, about it. It's hard to compare, isn't it? Because it's a very long time ago, and um, <laughs> and I don't know. Spoken word didn't really exist as a scene in the eighties and nineties as it does now. There were a, there was a couple of poets that would sometimes do kind of punk gigs. Obviously, there's John Cooper Clark, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm struggling now to think of another example. I, I, I don't know. Sonia's broadly my vintage. Everyone's younger than me. Um, can you, from, am I talking rubbish? Well, I wasn't in Derby then, so I don't know. But wherever you were, was there? Was I was in Germany. Oh, well, right. <laughs> not about that. No, I was not interested in poetry in the slightest till I... No, not, I didn't really call, like, I think if, as a teenager, like, if someone had said you want to go to a poetry reading, I'd have been like, no way. What I'm if they said nothing. you want to go to a spoken word night? No, I, was, I was busy going to music gigs. Yeah, me too. I was busy going to raves. Yeah. I took my mum. My mum wanted to see me uh, perform. I took her to a spoken, a spoken words night in um, Sheffield. It was a really good one in a in a little cafe, and um, I'd been worried that you know that my act might be a bit sweary for her, but there was so much edgy material that night. Me swearing was the last of my mum's worries, and we got to the. <laughs> We got to the interval and I said, like, are you all right, mum? Because there'd been all kinds of stuff up there. And then she said, yes, I'm fine. Yeah. She said, but Helen, what exactly is spoken word? I was like, oh, God, we've been here for an hour and she still doesn't know what we're, here, what we're doing. I was like, well, you know, it's poetry, but it could be other things that people, any words that people speak out loud as a performance. And I think that's something that's really, that's really changed in the last few years. Mm. And speaking about raves and gigs there uh, reminds me of the, the end of your your show, that last act. Um, it, I just had flashbacks <laughs> of me at Fabric uh, at 16, snuck into yeah. to raves then. Yeah, I, it was it was a, a welcome flashback, especially given the pandemic, but it's now made me feel like, oh, I want to go out. <laughs> well, I can remember at Fabric is spending a lot of time on the stairs. Lots of stairs uh, at Fabric. A lot of going yeah, down. Like I tried lab- to go to Fabric and ended up in the, the end instead because they wouldn't let us into Fabric for some. The end, the end was a great club. The end was I, awesome. I was, <laughs> I was, I'm showing my age now as a baby, but I um I think I was 17 when the end closed down, um and we we got we queued up and it was Andy C doing the closing party mm-hmm. and the bouncer stopped us he said ID. And we just went, oh, fuck it. And we showed, showed him our ID to so that 17. And he just went, oh, go on. <laughs> and it was the best, best night of our lives. We were walking around with mojitos, just like, this is amazing. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, made me miss going out, certainly. Talking about um, sort of the area you're from, Derby, uh, I'm right in saying, thanks to your super handy list, Camille and Sonia, you have got chat books will come in with bearded badger publishing he's local to derby isn't he because he's i think i heard him on jamie's uh podcast i think he interviewed him yeah paul handley he's actually from the west midlands so he's actually a brummy but he's lived here for quite a while now um and um although we haven't actually yet met him in person have we camille um he's um he's been great so far so we've just released the like um, a taster kind of 
publication which has a poem and a bio for each of the because there's going to be nine poets in the range of poetry pamphlets that he is going to publish this year so um and they're yeah. all, all sort of local to that area yeah, that's right yeah it's, it's, very yeah, they're very new press they've released one novel and this is their first um poetry series that they'll be releasing which is really exciting yeah it sounded really good when i listened to him on a james podcast i think it was last yeah. year wasn't it? He was on there talking about setting it up and like the struggles he's, he's had in in getting to this point but yeah, it's, yeah. Um, when i think when we saw it, it was when we submitted it was like may 2020 and um it just seemed like such a good fit you know it just seemed to be like where you know where we are in our poetry career which is fledgling unpublished but wanting to you know progress and um the fact that he wanted it to be east midland focused is really nice just that it's local independent um yeah just like the name of it, <laughs> Badger, and it's, it, i think that's the reference to him and his beard um yeah. as you will say but yeah it's all it all seems really really cool is he actually a badger? He looks like a badger. Well, he's, he's, I don't mean that in a horrible way, but he, he will say that himself. <laughs> just, he's got quite a big beard. I just think that being a badger and trying to make an anthology of poetry, they're not two things that, that kind of complement each other, really, are they? It's quite difficult. I can imagine a badger being a meticulous editor, though. You know, they're, they're quite nocturnal, aren't they? Yeah, yeah they, they get it all night. Yeah. They put in a shift. When, when did you say um, those are coming out there? Um, so he's releasing two at a time. So the, well, I guess one of them will be one. But mine and Sonia's are coming out together in October this year. And um, you can get them um, on. He's got a website and stuff like that. Is it just Bearded Badger? Yeah, publishing? let's look for Bearded Badger Publishing. I'm pretty yeah, sure that we'll, we'll be yeah. sharing the hell out of them anyway at some point once they're written. <laughs> yeah, you, can, you can download that PDF that Sonia mentioned now. Yeah. Free, it's completely free. You get one poem for each of the nine poets. Have a read. Have they got? Have your chapbooks got a particular like theme or focus? Yeah, it will have, and it's sort of still in the development phase for me but um yeah certainly I've got some ideas but um yeah I'm definitely gonna be exploring. Mine's I think I've kind of got the theme going and I've already got some poems together that I think I'd like to include but it's basically so I was um my dad was in the army when I was growing up and we moved around a lot and then I can continued moving around a lot into adulthood. I think I'm on my 26th house now age 33 um lived overseas and I guess the the general theme is about wanting to live that nomadic life and get away from life revolving around earning money and consuming and it's there's more out there to see but then as a result of doing that I miss out on what's most important is like friends and family and mm. um so yeah it's just trying to find that balance between that like having two sides of life and it's never quite never quite find that balance yet so um so i'm exploring that in my pamphlet that sounds yeah. mine's not yeah. mine's not too dissimilar like the themes that i'm thinking along and like camille i had a, an upbringing where i was you know i moved around a lot and lived abroad and it's about like i'm thinking about i think a lot of the time in my writing sort of themes of belonging come up and you know fitting in and you know that's I kind of often return to sort of writing about subcultures because 
you know, a lot of my youth, I experimented with, you know, belonging to those kind of tribes and things, as, as we all do to an extent. So. Yeah. I absolutely, yeah. absolutely love subcultures. When I was at uni, I had to do a load of essays on subcultures and read, you know, Dick Hebdige and, and yeah. All, um, yeah, Stanley Cohen, all that sort of stuff. I, I'm so interested by that. They, sound, they both sound really interesting. I'll definitely, definitely be giving those a read. You're both uh, People's Poetry Podcast Writing Challenge winners as well, aren't you? That's how I met you. I remember. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's how you submitted. I think this is the first time I've actually seen you face to face, albeit virtually. Yeah. Uh, thanks for that it was such a great thing to have that as well in early lockdown we really you know it was just a good thing to get uh, give a bit of structure or something to focus on something to do so yeah Yeah. nice one for that thank you same for me though i loved reading all the stuff and i've got my badge here should have worn it actually it's it's just attached to my uh makeup board cheeky plug cheeky plug um it's like circle time this because uh, everyone's got stuff going on haven't they so chris talk to me about the kidnapping of self-kindness and you've got a show how to be a better human in the pipeline is that right yeah yeah it's um it's i've got a really busy 2021 hopefully after a very quiet 2020 um so it mainly came about through the lockdowns basically the the show was in existence first um how to be a better human uh it's a, a spoken word show uh comedy about grief and loss and self-acceptance and it was due to be on a kind of local-ish tour around leeds at the end of 2020 uh, obviously that didn't happen uh so it's now delayed by a year basically and it's gonna be happening at the end of this year uh and essentially it, it it's my kind of story about um about my dad dying and about but also about all of the the really weird and and sometimes hilarious stuff that happens when you're going through kind of uh, the loss of somebody and then all of the stuff that you can try to learn from it afterwards uh and uh, with an acknowledgement that grief isn't not everybody can find positives in it and it's for some people it takes a long time to find those positives but it, but um with the with a kind of uh the the look that i had of of the positives that i found from it and then as i was writing stuff for the show and writing poetry for the show and and partly because of our well in a large part because of our weekly kind of writing sessions that we had on a sunday throughout the lockdowns uh, i started building up more and more of a of a collection of poetry started submitting to magazines to get published for the first time and then uh, submitted to Indigo Dreams with the kidnapping of self kindness, which is, uh, in many ways, draws from the same place as how to be a better human, but also um, it looks a bit more broadly at the. I mean, the title, the kidnapping of self kindness, is because I, I came to a, a realization or a thought that we have to go through. Well, for me, anyway, I had to go through the worst time of my life to then kind of sit back and go, okay, I'm allowed to be. I'm allowed to be kind to myself now. I'm allowed to be nice to myself. I've had a really crap year, like the worst year of my life. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit back and go, okay, no, it's all right to be, to to have that self acceptance and kindness. Um, so yeah, that's coming out this year uh, with Indigo Dreams. Uh, date not set yet, but they're publishing from spring, so sometime spring onwards. Okay. It's very, exi- very exciting, and it is a great title as well. I think um, I've been talking on this series about writing as a bit of a coping mechanism and you talk about being sort of kind to yourself did you find writing that 
especially given that some of it was, you know, about the process of grief with the loss of your dad, do you find that me and Cecilia and Nat were talking about how writing things like that is hard, but at the end of it, you can almost achieve this sense of kind of empowerment over that? Absolutely. I, uh, for me, I, I started writing How to Be a Better Human after I'd been to, I'd, I actually flew out to, to Canada uh, with some of dad's ashes because my sister lives in Victoria, the same. Uh, yeah. which was, which uh, kind of led to the brilliant situation of being stood at Manchester security holding a canister of my dad while they put my bags back through the scanner because it had flashed up on the screen. Uh, brilliantly, I'd left my Kindle in the bag and they were like, uh, excuse me, sir, have you, have you left a Kindle in this bag? And I was like, yeah and they went also is there, is there a large canister of powder in the main compartment <laughs> and I was like yeah it's my dad <laughs> uh so anyway, wow. I flew out to Canada and while I was out there the Vancouver Fringe was on uh, and I saw a show by a guy called Dion Arnold a comedy show called How I Killed My Nan uh and it was what I, know, it's, I, yeah. I was like I had, and literally the, the the bit underneath the title the blurb just said You'll have to come and find out. It didn't say anything else about the show. Uh, Amazing. That's a hurt. It was brilliant. I was like, I need to see the show. So I went to see it and he was literally talking about how his nan was on this uh, assisted suicide um, a scheme. And and by the end, she just, she wanted to die. And every every morning the doctors would walk in and go, and she'd go, are you going to kill me today? Uh, and that was, that was, that was her daily thing uh, in the, the hospice or the home or wherever she was living. And that kind of made me realise that you could just tell a story and and it could become this performative thing uh and obviously i've supplemented that with comedy and various other elements as well but um yeah the, i remember the first time i wrote anything just sitting and weeping uncontrollably for about half an hour afterwards and then it, it, you can almost chart the, the everybody talks about the theories of grief and how we move through it but uh and there's those various different interpretations like the wave and the button in the box and all those different theories that you can look up mm. but um you can pretty much chart my journey of how it got slightly easier every time I wrote uh but it's still a case of I'll, there are certain bits of the show that I'll read and and they're very difficult even for me to still perform now mm. that must that must be quite a challenge uh trying to perform something like that on stage yeah definitely um well I'm looking forward to reading that did you say spring it was when they start releasing things uh the indigo dreams start releasing in spring so kidnapping will be coming out some point in the spring or summer uh, i'm going to try and coincide the two i think to be honest so uh, and then how to be about humans on tour in autumn awesome um, and is that, is that just in leeds did you say or it, have you got plans to if the world opens again to to move that town to town it's uh the initial bid supported by the arts council was for a relatively local Leeds and surrounding area tour and there were some really cool venues like Leeds Playhouse and Ilkley Lit Fest and various other places lined up obviously there's been a big old pandemic since then so we're just kind of <laughs> trying to shape it back up again and it might it might extend to a slightly broader range of venues depending on what's going on for each each place now well if the world is open again it gives me an excuse uh, excuse to go back to Leeds so that'd be cool I'll come and have a watch um, and then Helen Another great title, Shit Mum. It's not called Shit Mum. <laughs> <laughs> what, shit what's Mum. It's working title, isn't it? Shit Mum is stick. It's the working title, and it's become a sort of joke between us. So um, it probably needs a bit of explanation. I think it's a great title. I've not even heard about it yet, but. Um, so the the big kind of event that happened to me in 2020, in addition to the pandemic, and and partly related to it was that my partner proposed and I moved in with him 
um, at the beginning of the first lockdown, I'd been living in a shared house. And, um, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, but uh, he's, he's got four kids. So I sort of, uh, they're not here full time, usually. But oh, yeah, so basically 2020 was the year that I had to kind of step into a part time mother ring roll, stepmother ring roll. And when it, it got to sort of late 2020, and I realised that pretty much everything I'd written last year uh, was was about just the absurdity of that to go from sort of zero to four and they're sort of spread out in age so what they you know kind of what they require from you is quite different and um, so so yes that's how shit mum started <laughs> and um, so that will hopefully be my my kind of first published pamphlet it's um about to be sent out to some publishers now and um so if anyone's interested in publishing a bunch of poems about someone who's wasn't expecting to be doing this um i'm uh, yeah get in touch but it's um yeah i've it's it's i'm much more comfortable performing than i am putting things on the page so the the other thing in 2020 was getting used to how to translate stuff that I would normally do in, a, in, in quite an over-the-top performance and how to represent that um, on a screen or a piece of paper mm. and um, I've had a lot of I think we mentioned Leanne Moden earlier and um, Leanne's uh, editing has been just invaluable really I, I you know um, obviously these guys had made loads of helpful comments as well before it got to that stage and then she's helped me edit it into what I think now is like quite a coherent sort of it has a bit it yeah. actually has a bit of an arc as well so that's um no, that's been that's my big that's my big plans for 2021 is to try and try and get that published sounds great it's, it reminds me this concept reminds me a little bit of like my first day as a teacher um because I went from obviously I've, I've still got no kids but I went from zero to 32 in a room and I was like mm. what am I going to do with you lot like this is mental but obviously <laughs> Slightly more intense if they're uh, they're in your house and they are your partners. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's a great idea for a, for a pamphlet. I think um, as well, you talked about having an arc. I struggle with that sometimes. I like I'm trying currently sort of writing uh, what I hope to be a debut pamphlet or collection, and I just there's so many poems. I think I, mm -hmm. I don't know if that fits in with all of these actually, and then I don't know what to do mm -hmm. with that poem. Um, does does it just get sort of left and and fester or? I don't know what how do you how do you cope with that how do you deal with that this is me fishing for advice here I've got four of you in the room I don't know yeah I'm still on I'm, I'm on the same journey Jimmy and it's um I, I'm, I'm hoping that um I'm actually um I've arranged some mentoring with Leanne around that process mm. um of pulling together a collection for the first time and you know although I've started to think about themes and things it's like um, and I think when we did Wise Talk Development as well, like some of my advice has stayed with me and was very helpful in terms of, he, you know, he was talking then about grouping poems for performance, but the same thing, you know, the same processes apply really. Um, big bit of paper and lots of post-it notes. <laughs> We've also got, oh, sorry, We've got better at kind of, um, so we're, we're, we're kind of all members of different networks outside sort of within poetry and outside of poetry as well. And I, we're 
we've got really good at sort of showing each other oh there's this opportunities just come up it doesn't fit with what I do but it might fit with what you do so we sort of I think that's another aspect of being collaborative rather than competitive I mean there's there's other things where like other competitions or um or uh, publications where maybe all four of us have submitted to you know so but it feels more like um like we're we're sort of genuinely chuffed for each other when we get uh, accepted yeah. by anything. That's we'll nice. give each other feedback on our poems for all submitting to say, say like we recently did one for Butcher's Dog magazine. Um, we may none of us get published, maybe one of us will, but I, whatever way we've done it together and we've worked together to make our work as strong as we can for it. That's nice, I like that. Have, have you had much chance to perform? I know I saw Camille, you did the uh, Matt Abbott's Nymphs and Fugs uh, live thing a while back, didn't you? I did. Um, uh, personally, I've, because of my day job, um, I've been forced to work from home and like all day, every day, I'm in and out of Zoom meetings. So I'm just physically exhausted by the evenings and weekends to sit in front of the screen anymore and I try and avoid it. Yeah. It's just, the, it's just not the same. Like what I love about performing in person is looking at the audience's reaction and talking to them afterwards and finding out yeah just like that interaction with an audience which you don't really get on zoom um i did perform at hammer and tongue cambridge i supported Le leanne moden um that was last summer now it was a while ago but that was online and the way they'd done that um uh, faye roberts the host they it was a lot more interactive whereas normally on a well on the few events that i've experienced online um it's usually the audience are all on mute and it's just you talking um, so when you finish a poem, you're, like, you're expecting a clap or something and you've just got like thumbs up and just sort of yeah. um, But with that one, um, they they did it so that the audience could keep their mics on, but in like a respectful way. So if that you could hear, you could kind of hear their reactions during a poem. Mm. And at the end of it, you hear them clapping and then have a little comment about what they liked and things. And I really liked that way, that, how they did that, mm. I guess. It was quite a small audience, so it might not work if there were lots of people in an event of it. Um, well, at the very like we we're only we we're only just getting used to using, even though it's been a year of lockdown. Like yeah. it's it's, I think we're all, I mean, like society at large, not just us, like struggling with how you use this technology that was designed to for formal meetings. Yeah, in, that, like reappropriating it reappropriating it for these very different mm. uses and it it wasn't designed to do this like it's amazing what people have managed to do but a bit like Camille the last I'm just not into sitting on the screen mm. any longer by the end of the day I'm just um, spending the time reading and writing instead which has been really helpful I think the only positive I found for myself uh when especially when I'm recording uh, a poem at the minute is that I can have it in front of me I'm so bad at remembering you see these poets that go on and they just have got their whole catalogue four collections in their head off by heart and I think what well, how do you do that how do you learn uh, I used to do, do it from memory but it's been so long now that I'd have to I can't remember anything so I have to read yeah, it I, I stopped doing memory stuff years ago because I just it just makes me more anxious and I end up not focusing on my performance because I'm too busy uh, hoping was, next line's meant I like memorising because it meant I didn't have to worry about looking down at a piece of paper or a screen. And if I knew it well enough that I didn't really have to think about what I was saying, just like 
if you know a poem so well inside out, you can kind of almost think about something else while you're performing it. You kind of just go into autopilot. And yeah. that's when I can start really connecting with the audience and seeing the reactions and things. But you have to get to that, that in-between bit before you get to that confident it's, it's painful <laughs> i definitely think once lockdown's lifted i'm gonna have to just have to do a tony walsh holly mcnish style no i'm holding the book for the, the these first yeah. Yeah, definitely. i mean I, I haven't done any live sort of really any live um online performances i've submitted quite a few video things um so i had a video in derby and in, in nottingham poetry festivals but live stuff I've not really done but I am doing an open mic in a couple of weeks for a, a event in well it would usually be in Nottingham but it's virtual for International Women's Day it's called Women's Day stuff um and we've got um, Ravel who I know you've had on the podcast yes. yeah um, and they've got a couple of other really good poets um, headlining and then open mic and I think I understand that that's going to be a live stream one so that'll be interesting we'll get the links out for that if you let me know what yeah we'll do I've actually got, it's funny you say that, that's, Ravel sent me a pen. Oh yeah, Perth Exception, yeah. she's great, isn't she? Yeah, she's wicked, she, um, she's really cool. I actually met her um, completely outside of poetry and I work for an advocacy organisation um, and she told me she was a poet and I asked if she would come and um, perform at an event that we had and she did. Um, that was before I was performing poetry at all and she was, she just like, the, ro the room was blown away, she mm. was amazing. She, um, yeah, she, I can't remember how I found her, if it was online, and then I ended up going up, I think that was the first series I did, actually, of this, and I ended up going to Nottingham, not realising it was Poetry Festival weekend, so I got to see her perform at one of the events, and yeah, she's, she's so sweet, she's messing me all the time, like, I can't believe you came all this way, I'm so sorry I haven't messaged you more, I'm like, it's fine, I was like, I've come to interview you, you're incredible, yeah, no, she's cool, I look forward to that. Um, before we sort of wrap this up, those of you that have, that have heard some episodes before, I like to talk uh, and sort of pick your brains because every poet seems to have slightly different answer for these questions. Three questions about uh, your writing process and the editing process mainly. So the first one I, I usually put to poets is once you've written your poem and it's in its first draft, as it were, when you get it back out, if you leave it or if you go to edit it straight away, what is the first thing you do when you approach that poem? I mean, I like to handwrite and scribble and rewrite and highlight until it goes anywhere near a computer. So that's just me. I don't like to type things first because it sets it for me. I like to be able to, I'm really messy. I've got loads of books and I just like, I'll write it out and I'll write it out. You'll find a book with a section like that with the same poem written and rewritten. I have so, to write yeah, down everything. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah, no, same. Yeah, I'm I'm absolute opposite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I I write on screen, and it's usually been edited before, like even the end of the workshop. Like I'll I'll write a first draft straight out there, and then immediately go back and start tweaking it. Um, I I find editing for me is a really instinctive process. Like I don't. I, I don't know I don't go at it with any kind of formula or any kind of approach as such it's just I just work my way through the poem again and again and again and find oh, actually that bit these tweaking that bit's not really working that bit you know I don't I don't like that image that's a cliche whatever else it might be um but it it comes from gut feeling rather than any kind of intelligible approach I'm a, I'm a combination between Sonia and Chris so I'll start on in my notebook 
um, whether that's a free write or some sort of exercise, or I've just, I get a lot of inspiration from other poems that I read from other authors. So if I read a book, a poem I like, and it inspires, I spark something, I'll bash it out on the page. And then to actually get it into some coherent form and I just pick out maybe the particular lines that I like or the bits that stand out and then put it on a word document and then go from there. Um, but I think like I've been to so many, like originally, oh God, my poems included so many cliches and I'd have about five poems in one poem and I still do that to an extent, I've nowhere near perfected the art, but um, I've gotten a lot better through going to workshops and from, from each, like these guys' feedback and things that maybe, okay, I don't need to say this because I'm repeating what I've said, I'm just saying it in another way, or it's just, this is just, the, it's a really nice pretty line, but where does, this doesn't actually mean anything. It doesn't stand out and it doesn't, um, yeah, it does, doesn't stick with the theme of the poem. It's just a nice extra thing that is, you don't really like kill your darlings kind of thing. and. Um, so I try and get it down to a point where I'm comfortable with it and then I usually stick it on off. We've got a Wise Talk Collective drive on Google. Um, I'm sure there's other Google drives available. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, and that's when, yeah, we sort of go back and what, uh, yeah, and get feedback from them. Uh, or sometimes I'll just leave it for a good couple of weeks. I've just been staring at it too much and I get sick of it. So I'll leaving it for a good period of time and coming back to it helps stand out really obvious things that shouldn't be there or don't really work. It's a combination. Um, I, have, I use voice notes a lot in my phone. Um, a lot of a lot of my work is it's about kind of just funny sounds in my mouth. <laughs> I think those elocution lessons have left some kind of trauma. Um, so I so there's like little things that I'll listen to and then uh, lots of notebooks with things written by hand. And under normal circumstances, a lot of my editing comes from performing them. So I like seeing where audiences laugh or look bemused. There's quite a lot of bemusement. Um, and then it'll be quite far in the process before it goes on the drive. And then I'd ask for feedback from these guys. Yeah, I think saying it aloud, even just to yourself, really helps yeah, see the yeah. flow and what works and what doesn't. That, that seems to be a common common answer to that question. When um when is it time to leave a poem alone? I just just when it's just like oh not this fucking poem again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think for me it's when I've been reassured by other poets that it's good, <laughs> then I can leave it alone. Yeah, once, once it's been published, it's like, cool, that one's done now. Even then, I'm, I'm not stopped. Yeah. No, I think, I think I just naturally get to a point where I'm like, okay, I, I, that, you know, it's never perfect. It might not be where I wanted it to be or where I imagined it might get to when I started writing to it, but I just know when it's done and I don't want to play with it anymore. So, yeah. yeah. When you've got gone through every line and you've given every line a reason why it needs to be in there, every word, yeah. and it can be quite an exhaustive process and it takes a long time. Um, and some poems just don't make it. Like some poems, you like that 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 didn't work. It wasn't a success. Yeah. But I can't keep plugging it. I just need to. Maybe I'll go back to it and like like scavenge it for lines at some point. Scavenge it for phrases, but the concepts or whatever didn't work. So, yeah. I think especially in, in the lockdowns, it's become harder and harder to tell because I feel like myself anyway, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm editing something, 
I'll get to the point when I've just completely lost sight of the the wood for the trees. Is that the saying? To get that right, <laughs> the trees for the wood, the wood for the trees, one or the other. Um, and uh, and I'm just like I'm moving a, a full stop around, and I've already tried it in five different places, and I'm like, I, why? Why am I doing this? That's just you know me what I mean? Punctuation, I, Chris. <laughs> that is me in punctuation, and it's, it, I, for me, it's like cause I I um. I grew up with OCD and it still exists in my life quite prominently. So I can get to a point when I get really obsessive about editing these poems and, oh my God, I need to make sure this goes there. And actually it's like, well, if I was performing this live, nobody would see where that fecking full stop was anyway. Mm -hmm. So I just need to step away and leave it. You know, I'm happy with the words. Why am I playing with this so much? The last question that I always ask then is sort of the, the question that was the reason for me starting the podcast in the first place um and to try and discover why it is that still in 2021 we've got such a love affair with poetry uh, as a nation as as, as a globe uh, across the globe poetry seems to sort of pop its head up at all different types of events in the media everywhere um still so why do you think it is that people still have this love affair with poetry Ooh. it's like a constant observation of the world isn't it and it's a way of um well for me anyway my introduction to it was suffering with depression and anxiety it was a way to get the thoughts in your head out and just even if no one ever looks at them or read them they're just out and somewhere else mm -hmm. um so that, that i think a lot of poetry reflects on like yeah. mental health problems and i think Chris mentioned grief in and, the world it's just yeah. a way of understanding them and sharing them with people and finding people that relate to that I think it expresses things in a way that you would never think of hearing them being expressed. And that then makes you uh, it inherently understand the person that's read those words. You know, you understand more about that person from hearing a poem by them. Uh, although sometimes it is, you know, sometimes it's just brilliant and entertaining and hilarious and what all these other, it can be anything really is kind of the joy of it. I think but it, it always exists on that, that very fine line between the real thing that's happened and the really, uh, artistic exploration of that. One of the main things I've quickly learned in the poetry community is you make friends so quickly because everyone is on stage um, and like everything, most things that people are talking about, even if it is comedy, it comes from the heart and it's, it, you're just putting yourself in such a vulnerable position and you're trusting the audience to be kind to that and they, they always are. And so you just jump, you just skip the small talk step and you go straight into right. I know this about you. Let's let's talk. Let's go have a pint. And mm, yeah, yeah. It's universality, and it's a way. You know, it's a way of being able to say things and share things that you might not otherwise be able to say and and share. Um, it gives you a vehicle to to do that. Talk about and well. yeah, and yeah. I mean, for me, like um, you know, Chris has mentioned processing grief for me that was really why I started writing poetry really you know to myself it was it was to help me after my dad died it, and it just it wasn't a, really a conscious decision it was just like oh god I need to get some of this stuff down and some of it was journaling and some of it was coming out in in other forms and that's kind of when I realized that oh I might quite enjoy you know I, I might come back to this and, and focus on this as an art form and see where it takes me um, and it took me into community and I found like 
just a great bunch of people really you know from the first open mic night that I went to in Derby which was actually um, at Dada Dance Centre so shout out to those folks because they're all lovely um, to Jamie's night uh, Wordwise uh, just it's just a brilliant community um, and it just really helped me in like, so many ways I can't really begin to explain yeah. And you just found yeah. another tribe, basically. Yeah, it's a lovely tribe. <laughs> infiltrates. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, I think it's about con- poetry connects it connects the poet to the to the reader. I find it fascinating when the, you read something or perform something, and someone comes up afterwards and has really connected with it, totally in a way that was not what you intended or not what you thought it was about, but that's what it was about for them. You, yeah. Not really many other things where that, um, maybe songwriting that can yeah. happen. And look how abstract it is and how it is an abstract way to play with words. You don't have to have a narrative, um, although often you do, but you know, I think we all come at this from a love of, of words, but sometimes it you might feel like there's a, a difficult way into that like you've got to write stories or novels with poetry it's like you just you just got the words and you can start messing about with them straight away if that makes sense you just need a pen and paper it's yeah it's just that she's so immediate and that's why it's so responsive to you know world events etc that's why we're going to end up with a lot of uh, pandemic poetry but that's another another story isn't it we can stay here now, exclusive, that the Wise Talk Arts Council bid is not going to be for a COVID-related pandemic election. Not that there's anything wrong with those, though. And no. Camille and I are soon to be featured in one. Um, there's an anthology coming out uh, from Nottingham's excellent World Jam Collective called Us Versus Virus, um, and it'll be available later in February. Um, uh, so yeah, check out World Jam socials for that. That was the smoothest plug. <laughs> <laughs> I set that smooth. up for her. Could you not see I set that up? I, I very much doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd also like to point out that Camille talks about the kindness of audiences uh, being a big thing about poetry. I did get heckled at the Wise Talk development. <laughs> Showcase, you know, just, to, just that. plunk that one back out there. We won't mention nine it. times out of ten, everyone's kind. <laughs> yeah, it was just bad dog. He wouldn't shut up. There was a fifth member of Wise Talk. I don't know if we've covered that. Um, yeah, which is is Helen's uh, delightful pooch. He makes an appearance in the video, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the outtakes, yeah. which were hell. I enjoyed editing the outtakes more than the actual. Oh, I don't think we shared them with you, Jimmy. We'll have to share them. <laughs> um, right where can people find you uh, obviously your socials plug time uh, if they want to uh, check out more of your work and keep up to date with things that are going to be soon to be released um so we've got a wise talk collective facebook page which is just uh wise talk collective on facebook um and then we've each got our individual pages yeah, mine is at camille which is c-a-m-i-l-l-e dot poet on instagram and facebook Mine's Sonia Poetry, um, I think. Oh, sorry, Sonia, go. Sonia right. Poetry on, on Facebook, um, yeah. And then I'm, I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Peckishism, um, which is the food blog that I used to write, and I just kept it because I like the name. Um, but, but that's kind of a bit more of a mere personal 
it's a bit quite a lot of poetry stuff but it just tends to be whatever I come out with so uh, if you google Helen Rice is showing off you should get a variety of platforms but I, I really want this year to be the year where I sort the pigging website out properly but yeah so I showing off is a is an umbrella for um the different things I do so I do a bit of comedy performing and songwriting and um different collaborations with people so it's just easier to have it all in one place but it is it is a bit random <laughs> <laughs> I'm under my company name for most of it so on Facebook I'm Bri uh, Brave Words Theatre and Spoken Word Instagram is at Brave Words Theatre and Twitter is the only personal one where I'm at Singleton Poets because I just like to spout crap and get in arguments about Leeds United on Twitter and I'm never going to relate that to my company. <laughs> that, that is what Twitter is for. Well, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being here. The Art of Losing is on YouTube, so go and check that out. If, uh, have a watch of that. Uh, and I look forward to reading all of your different individual projects very, very soon. Thank you for yeah, letting me you. into your Sunday meeting. <laughs> Thanks for having us. It's been fun. Now, it would be silly not to hear a poem from each of these brilliant poets. So we have got four poems, one from each of the Wise Talk Collective coming up for you now. Uh, this poem is called Whiskey Relief. I want nothing less than your heart poured out across the table at 3am in a bar soaked in beer. Let the whiskey ease the tongue. I need to see how you struggle in daily life. This world forces a silence in our throats, prevents us from being honest. Roll the truth around the edges of lips like it's the ice melting on the rim of our glasses. Taste the relief it gives as honey and vanilla soak oak wood. I read that wine should be stored horizontally, but whiskey stands upright and proud. You are whiskey, peat free, high ABV vintage cask of humble, sweet, space-side Braveheart. I'm the soggy bar mat soaking up all the stickiness. I do not ring myself out anywhere near enough. I know how hard it is, so I'll do my best to open up in the times that you can't, hoping if I do it for you, you'll do it for someone else and they for another until the whole world is distilled. But until then... I'll wait patiently at the end of the bar with my credit card, ready to buy the biggest bottle of the best single malt. Because don't we deserve the top shelf every time? I'm going to read a, po a poem about my dad. Uh, well, it's kind of an imagined situation with my dad. It's called Sergeant Pepper's First Press, which, uh, without saying too much, after... After dad died, me and mum went through all of his record collection and I found out he had a first press of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club. I was like, oh my, wow, this is this is incredible. And I've since kind of purloined it. Uh, I found out that my brother took a pair of scissors to the inserts when he was a kid. Because <laughs> apparently, I, I never saw the inserts because they don't exist anymore in, in this form. But apparently they had like a little cutout thing where you could cut out all the figures and my brother did it. So the record is, is only worth sentimental value and I wouldn't have it any other way to be honest. Uh, so this is Sergeant Pepper's first press. We'll sit in silence on the sofas I've never liked, the scratch of your Sudoku pen, the odd cup of coffee watered down. You make them too strong. 
roll our eyes in humour as mum chirps from the dining room about plans or shopping or nothing. You'll remember a crime drama that's caught your eye, that new one with what's her name? I'll point out your slow progress through the book. You'll ask a question about work, share a new song, recipe, trip. You'll have just booked another holiday. You've always just booked another holiday. Somewhere you took me as a kid or further afield, you make the most of your time. You'll look at me with understatement, subtly sowing safety. For a moment, I'll feel the pride and excitement of a father holding his newborn. You'll call me to your records, ones I never knew you had. Trace lines on the surface. Show me how the needle catches in slow motion. Your name penned meticulously on the sleeve, inviting me to memory. 18-year-old you, shoulder-length hair, smoking on the sofa, dog by your arm, record turning past your form. Myself in every inch. Your phone will chirrup, remind you to take your tablets, put an end to my silliness. The clock whirring hours as the sun finds its path through glass and swirling dust to catch the light of your hair. Right, this is the poem that was in the Bearded Badger Taster EPUB. It's called The Beat. The beat drags us from bleak suburbs in Ballardian beige, from picture postcard villages, cityscapes, fear-stained high-rises glinting with knives, crowded yet isolated lives. The beat draws us closer in our vintage vans with patched-up exhaust pipes and half-baked plans, wacky races cars filled with spliff and cigarette smoke or hitching with a hand-drawn sign and hope. The beat animates us with rolls and drops. Your Monday to Friday corpse finds a pill to pop, something to drink, a rush, and suddenly you sink into the rhythm. Those drums are for you. The beat is inside us. It rings in our ears, feet throbbing and tapping to a silent disco each. Bags burn forgotten in fingers, yellow as sin. We leave the club and the magical hour kicks in. The beat unites us 20 years on. We still feel like we belong to something while habits started to enhance our experience. Consumers as we dance. The beat saves us from our real lives. We're locked in the rightness of a moment as light as movement. Laser smiles, slips goals. We are the here and now. This is from the collection. It's not going to be called Shit Mom. Um, and it's um, called Saturday Kitchen. As I tackle another tower of dirty plates at the sink, you enter. A Nerf gun in each hand and another strapped to your back. Bang, 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 bang! Bang, bang, bang! Bang! Bang, bang! Bang, 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 bang! 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 bang. And as you gleefully sprint to your bedroom to rearm with more foamy ammo, I plunge rubber gloves back into the warm suds, fish out a soft pellet and place it by the dripping pots. And I smile and I say to an empty room, 
I really love this quality time we get to spend together. A massive thank you as always to you at home for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share it with a friend. You can find us on Instagram at People's Poetry Podcast, over on Twitter at People underscore Poetry. You can find us on Facebook, People's Poetry Podcast. I'm on Twitter, JBO, that's JBO Pens Poems. And you can email us if you want to get involved with the show, if you're a poet yourself and you'd like to sit down and chat, or if social media just don't cut the mustard and you want to get in touch, it's peoplespoetrypodcast at hotmail.com. 